So we're, we're very careful about which beans we select to begin with, which cost more. We're also very sensitive to the coffee farmers of the world. They've really been, in my opinion, not treated as well as they should have given the rise of popularity. It's, a, it's an incredibly hands-on product. Coffee as a commodity is second only to oil on international basis in terms, in terms of uh, both poundage and revenue. That was Joe Monahan showing us what it takes to produce great, sustainable coffee. I'm totally jacked up on coffee right now, so hang in with me if you can. Angler's Coffee, today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you love passionate stories and killer coffee, can you stop right now and share this episode with one person who uh, who loves both of those things? If uh, if you want to hear a good story today, we've got one for, uh, from Joe. Joe Monahan, Angler's Coffee founder, is here to share his coffee story and why, um, after selling a $150 million company, he felt the need to start a small fly fishing focused coffee startup. We find out who was there when Joe first got started in coffee and how it um, how he came to own the Ferrari of coffee companies with the likes of the tiny startup Starbucks who was there um, just getting started when Joe just, was just getting started. So pretty cool connection there. Um, today we learn about uh, some coffee, how it's grown and how it all comes together from one of the gurus. Without further ado, here is Joe Monahan from Angler's Coffee. Com. How's it going, Joe? It's going great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on here. This is this is going to be a lot of fun. We uh, we got a couple unique things here. You're a, um, a sponsor for the podcast this year. We've been doing some stuff to get the word out there. And um, you know, the other cool thing, I've been drinking your coffee and really been loving it. This is like you know, I, I have a. I think everybody who has sponsors should should use the product and love it, and uh, so that's an easy one for me. But we're gonna we're gonna dig into like your background in coffee and, and fly fishing and stuff like that because it's kind of interesting to me. Um, before we get into all the coffee, though, tell me about how you first got into fly fishing. Well, I was pretty much born into it. Uh, my father was born and raised on the Bitterroot River. In Montana, and um, as I was growing up, I actually grew up in the Spokane and Seattle area, but as I was growing up, we took frequent family vacations, pretty much every family vacation, back to the uh, the Bitterroot and fished and fished and fished, and sometimes I loved it and sometimes I hated it, hated it but it definitely got into my blood. Hmm. In the Bitterroot now, and so, and where are you at now? I'm on Whidbey Island, Washington. It's in Puget Sound, just off uh, Seattle, uh, just not uh, about 20 miles away from Seattle. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right up in the in the heart of it up there. Okay, so basically, yeah, you're still not far. Do you do you still do any trips down to the the Bitterroot or any of the Montana stuff or any of that? I I have uh, here and again. I have a brother that lives in Anaconda, um, and I've fished with him a couple of times. I'm going to try to get out and fish with him again this summer. But, yeah, cool, cool. Uh, 
Well, uh, I guess I, I wanted to start off here, you know, as far as the coffee and because uh, I don't know anything about coffee. I'm uh, literally I'm, I'm hoping you could coach me a little bit here on it. But talk about I know you have a history, a big background in coffee, but tell us how take us back wherever you want to go in the history of coffee. How did it get started for you? Well, for me, it's it's pretty much all I've done in my professional career. I um, I got started in coffee through uh, one of my best friends, a high school buddy, actually. Ironically, his name is Dave Stewart. Um, <laughs> really, <laughs> that's <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> and uh, and he, while I was trying to struggle my way through college, he and his brother Jim started a small coffee company. Again, kind of ironically, right here on Whidbey Island, where I now live. Um, and then somewhere along the line, I'd say about 1975, I was looking for some work to do. And uh, they needed someone to come on board and learn a little bit about coffee and roast coffee. And and at that time, they were competing with uh, the company's name was the Wet Whisker. Um, and they were competing with another really small Seattle company by the name of Starbucks. And they were, uh, they were wanting someone to sell coffee to the Seattle area restaurants to try to try to catch up a little bit with Starbucks at the time. So I came on board and I learned a little bit about roasting coffee and started hitting up the Seattle restaurant scene. And before I knew it, I was hooked. Coffee was in my blood, and um, that's how I got started. That's it. That's it. And that's super interesting because, I mean, obviously, uh, Starbucks is the uh, you know the the giant elephant out there, right? I mean, so so t- tell me again. So so Starbucks. So you were there when Starbucks was a tiny company, and and you were kind of uh, what what was that time like? Well, it was it was a whole different world than we have now in the world of coffee. And uh, the so-called specialty coffee was was very new to the region, to the whole country for that matter. Um, there was a bit of a movement that had started down in the Bay Area, down in Berkeley, where uh, a couple of kind of old-fashioned coffee houses were starting to gain popularity. And one of the uh, one of the guys, one of the founders of Starbucks, was a student in Berkeley and got a hold of the idea and and back then there was another small company called pete's coffee down there yep. that was also grown and so he got some inspiration and came up to seattle and and started a small coffee roasting business with a couple of partners and then my buddy dave and his brother jim jim had been um studying optometry down in los angeles at ucla and he would come up here in the summers, and ran, he ran a little ice cream store here on Whidbey Island, which I actually spent a little time scooping ice cream there. And um, while he was in L.A., he also got inspiration from another small company in L.A.-based called the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. So they both got started about the same time, and, and it was, a, like I said, it was a whole different world of business back then. The, it was a small handful of people that could really appreciate the taste difference and canned coffee canned coffee such as Folgers was certainly king yeah uh, certainly was what I saw around my house growing <laughs> up um, and uh, and but slowly and surely over time it grew Starbucks obviously became what they became and the wet whisker 
the company I started with, eventually turned to a company called Seattle's Best Coffee, which also grew to considerable size. Oh, wow. Wow. So so now the Wet Whisker was the company that you... Remind me again, how the Wet Whisker... Who was involved in that when that started? The Wet Whisker was owned by, by Jim and Dave Stewart, like a couple of Seattleites. Gotcha. And you started, and that's how you got your in. You started working with them, and they were... Were they just selling coffee, and, and you were just uh, kind of helping them with the business there? Yeah. At that time, I think Starbucks had two stores in Seattle, and... The Wet Whisker had one on Pier 70, and these were long before the days of a, of a cafe setting. In fact, neither company even sold coffee by the cup, brewed in any, any way. It was, uh, you know, the, the handful of coffee aficionados that we had in town would, would come in and buy fresh roasted beans, take them home and brew them, but, and we would sample coffee, but never, never even sold it by the cup in those days. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so cool. Well... Uh, obviously today we're not going to dig into the whole Starbucks, uh, thing. I'll put a link in the show notes if I can, maybe how I built this podcast maybe has the, uh, the, the Starbucks uh, story there, but, um, no, it's interesting. So yeah, I mean, you're obviously in the heart of, of coffee, one of the coffee meccas, uh, with all that, but how did, so I know you got into eventually building, uh, kind of like coffee roasting machines or maybe explain how you got into that, that part of it. Well, actually, not not coffee roasting machines, but espresso brewing machines. Oh, right. So as I mentioned, I, I was selling coffee to Seattle area restaurants, and one of the restaurants that I was selling to was a little uh, kind of funky deli by day and kind of happening blues club by night. And the guy that bought it, uh, when he when he bought it and was converting it into a a, a more a better place. It came along with an espresso machine, and one day I was delivering coffee to him, and he looks at me and goes, you know how to work one of these things? And I had literally never even seen one before. <laughs> so we started tinkering with it, and trying. And at the time, I'm sure the results we're getting were just atrocious. But um, he, in particular, took a real liking to the machine part of the deal, the technology, uh, and he he stuck with it. And before I knew it, he was kind of the local guy people would turn to to fix their espresso machines when they needed. We're talking commercial large machines, yeah. of which I think there were maybe, I mean, our, our standard line was there were about eight in town. And at any given time, only four were working. Um, but he kind of became the guy that became known for who to call if he had questions about an espresso machine or needed, needed work. On one, and he got the idea to maybe try importing machines from Italy, and so he started bringing in a couple of machines at a time. And because I was, well, one kind of a natural-born salesman, and two, I was out selling coffee and had a few connections. I was actually making most of his sales for him. And one day, I would say it was about mid 1979. He approached me about. Um, coming on board as a partner with him. And uh, it sounded like something fun to do. Uh, I mean, I was single and footloose and fancy free and sounded like a good excuse to maybe get a trip to Italy out of the deal. So we formed a company and started importing a few machines back then. And um, that's how I got started. And then it was the beginning of a 40-year story. There you go, in 40 years. So that's, yeah, and that was back in the late 70s. 
So that that kind of takes us back to, and we get a little background on on your whole history there. You mentioned uh, the natural born uh, salesman. I love that. Um, could you just talk, uh, tell me a little more about you know what what you mean by that? Like because not everybody, uh, some people look at sales and like, man, they hate sales, but it sounds like you like it. Well, I just seem to. Well, again, my dad was a salesman as long as well as a fisherman, so I picked up both both things from him. I'm sure. Um, I don't know. It just it just comes natural to me. I'm a, I'm a people person. I uh, you know, I don't. Ironically, I don't really believe in selling anything. I don't think people really want to be sold no, anything. No. But but they do like help buying stuff. And so, I mm. I was a relationship guy, and it, it came easy to me. And I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. If someone wanted to buy something from me, fine. If they didn't, fine. So I wasn't worried about rejection. And uh, since then, I've hired. A great number of salespeople, and some of them who did well, and some of them didn't. And yep. um, but for me, it just came natural. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, and I love that. I think the the sales that makes sense. You have a, you know, obviously you have a good product, and that that's kind of makes it easier. Um, and you know, in the coffee, I want to dig into that on the English coffee because that's kind of the topic here. I think. You know, I, I think for me, it's it's easy to, uh, you know, promote it, sell it because I love it. You know, and I've been getting the muddler. Um, I think, is that the extra dark roast? That, that's the dark roast we have, yeah. The yeah, darkest. the dark the dark roast. Talk about talk about English coffee. How did, um, you know, you got 40 years in, in the coffee business. Why, why start, um, you know, an Angler's Coffee, a new company? Well, it's the same question my wife is asking. Yeah. <laughs> <all the time>. um, <laughs> Well, on top of being a salesperson or natural salesperson, I'm also kind of a serial entrepreneur. So about three years ago, I started the process of retirement. Uh, we had we had built our company uh, from a tiny little company in Italy up to literally a $150 million global company. Wow. And um, – there was good and bad part of that. I mean, we had 300 employees worldwide, and my, my roles and responsibilities had changed a lot. But along the way, I was able to, uh, because of the nature of the product we had, which was called La Marzocco, it would have been the same as, you know, a couple of lucky guys getting the Ferrari distributorship and being able mm-hmm. to buy the company Ferrari. Uh, so... As a result of that company, I was able to get to know and do business with literally the best of the best of the coffee roasting companies around the world. And so even though I was in the equipment end of it, I was never very far away from coffee or coffee roasting or coffee drinking and literally never got tired of it and still not. So I was going to give this retirement thing a whirl and we moved up here to Whidbey Island and I've got a little bit of a small farm up here with animals and crops and uh, but you know I still just never shook the entrepreneurial bug and um, and I had always kind of toyed with the idea of taking great coffee to to the fishing community for whatever reason it had been on my mind for a long time and um, I finally decided to do it. That was basically it. That's it. That's it. So basically, even though you're kind of uh, technically in retirement, you just couldn't resist to, you know, provide a, a new product. And I'm glad you did. Uh, you know, I think that's the fun thing here is that we're, we're able to, I mean, it, it all makes sense to me because I think, I don't know, I, I love coffee. I drink probably way too much of it. 
And uh, but it goes with right the podcasting, fishing. You got you got to always have a cup of coffee to keep you going. Um, so so I, I wanted to just touch on the Starbucks thing because it sounds like you know a lot about coffee. I actually uh, you know throughout the last number of years, I've been drinking a lot of Starbucks coffee, right? Uh, and for better or worse, I know there's probably lots of bad things about Starbucks. It's this mega company, but can you just talk about the actual, do you know much about like the difference between say a Starbucks coffee, um, you know, the Pike versus say what you do with your, you know, say the, the, the stuff you have? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of differences between our coffee and our company and Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks, for one thing, is, is they they focus on the darker roast and coffee. Coffee is extremely personal for taste. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of of flavor profiles depending on the roast, from light to dark. You know, you mentioned you're a dark roast guy. It's probably why you like Starbucks coffee. Um, the the be- coffee beans are sourced from all around the globe. Plus or minus about 20 degrees from the equator, north or south of the equator. And it's typically grown in uh, higher elevations. Um, So coffee beans themselves also have an extreme diverse flavor profile. So uh, every roaster, every brand of coffee will will try to do their best to to meet their clients and taste preferences. Um, Starbucks... Is you know has grown to be just an enormous company, and uh, and they're really the antithesis of what we would now think of as as micro roasting or the or the, yeah. the small batch roasting coffees like we do, which the best analogy would be you know Budweiser compared to uh, to yeah. a good micro brew. Right. Uh, doesn't mean there there's no bad, there's no good. You know, if anybody if somebody likes it, I figure mission accomplished. Yep. And, so as a result of, of working with, uh, with these roasters and getting to know coffee all these years, I felt like I had a really good feel for how to put a spectrum of coffees together that uh, I think we have something for everyone. And on top of that, it was um, basically an idea to try to market and sell coffee to a community, a demographic community, rather than just coffee drinkers at large. And the one I knew best was, was fly fishing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, you've gone in and and now you know on this show we've had we're over a, you know with a couple hundred episodes or whatever, and we've interviewed a ton of people that have I've heard stories of people that have you know similar to you that they did something and then they got into fly fishing a company because they loved it, you know, and finding it the audience is actually once you get into it you realize the um, you know it's pretty small it's pretty niche right so that's that's one of the challenges. I, I know it's early for you, but, um, you know, before we get into, it, I want to talk a little bit about the, the roast that you guys do, but as far as the company side, the business side, what, what have, what's been, you know, what's been your take so far since you've been going, like as far as kind of struggles or where you think you're headed with it? Well, the world I came from was, uh, you know, we, we sold a, a real product, a manufactured product. The sales were typically face to face. Um, we would deliver the machines, install the machines, a lot of technical training, et cetera. <clears throat> so I had virtually no experience with online retailing. So I had it in my head, oh yeah, I just you know build a website and reach out to people and have a good product and they'll beat a path to your door. And I learned pretty quickly that wasn't necessarily the case. Yep. 
So, but that's been really the fun part of it too. I love, I love challenges. I love uh, digging in and, and giving it my best shot. And um, what's been really enjoyable for me is, you know, slowly but surely establishing ourselves in the fly fishing community and watching it, you know, just take place one little step at a time, whether that's through social media or, uh, you know, our advertising or our Facebook ads or whatever. But that, that's been really fun. It's been challenging, but yeah. extremely fun. How'd you do it with the, um, and what was the name of your company, the, the $150 million company? It was called La Marzocco. Uh, it is called La Marzocco. Marzocco um, was a manufacturing company. Most espresso brewing, which is a way of brewing coffee, and a way that a lot of us have become familiar with consuming coffee in the form of a latte or a cappuccino or mocha or whatever the beverage you might like. Mm-hmm. Um, the brewing technology was actually invented and developed in Italy back in the very early parts of the, uh, the 1900s and evolved over time. Italians are famous for being impatient. So <laughs> the word espresso essentially means express yeah. and really a way to quickly brew a single cup of coffee. Um, so the company La Marzocco was based in Florence, Italy. It was established in 1927. My partner and I were lucky enough to find a way to acquire the company back in 1994. It was really out of need. And ironically, at that time, we had started to we had been supplying Starbucks as they started their evolution and growth into a similar company that we now know of them with with coffee. Yep. You know, coffee bars inside their stores and, and, a, and a big emphasis on beverage sales. So Starbucks was rapidly outgrowing uh, our little company's ability to produce machines. And when we approached the owner about um, ramping up his capacity, he essentially told us no. Hmm. He didn't really want to. He had a nice lifestyle in Tuscany. and Who was that? His name is Piero Bambi. Unfortunately, Piero just passed away within the last six months, but was certainly the patriarch of the company as we knew it. And, uh, he sold us the company in 1994, but he forgot about that and, and still ran it right up until the time he passed away. <laughs> so, um, so that, you know, that was just a real ride, taking it from a little tiny company to a global company. It's certainly an industry leader. Oh, wow. And a machine of choice amongst uh, a much so many coffee bars and, and top quality coffee cafes, restaurants, coffee bars around the world. There you go. There you go. And and so do you take, you know, now with all that experience and the growth there, I mean, is there stuff, you know, much you can take from that to apply to the Angler's Coffee brand? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we were, we always approach business uh, from a perspective of customer first. And it's all about the customer experience. And that really was what separated us out from our competitors over the years and allowed us to kind of rise to the top. So I'm a people person. I believe in taking care of people. Um, My mission here is to elevate someone's coffee experience. If someone is used to uh, a bad cup of Folgers and they, they need a little help or they, uh, and, and we, we get them to brew a little better cup of coffee for me, that's mission accomplished. If someone comes to me and says, I'm a coffee snob and I just had your coffee and it's right up there with the best, then even better yet. Yeah, that's cool. So here, here's a random one for you. So 
you know, for somebody who drinks a lot of coffee on the go, um, you know, say I wanted to, you know, just, you know, exclusively, you know, drink your, your coffee because it, it's good, you know, How, what would you recommend that? Is there any little micro espresso something you could, I mean, is there literally something you could put your, the back of your, your car, or your van, you can fire something up or, you know, like, what would you recommend if somebody's always on the go, always traveling, how would they drink English coffee? Well, that's a good question, and we're, it's it's timely question because we're working on that right now. I mean, it, the coffee has so many different ways of being brewed. We're all we're all probably most familiar with drip brewed coffee, where where gravity pulls hot water through coffee grounds and usually through a filter and into a a pot or a cup. And so, really, all it takes is a is a is some coffee and a filter and a cone and some hot water and you can brew coffee anywhere. Yeah. But we're also working on a new, a new product, which we'll be bringing to market here in the next couple of weeks. And it's produced by a company called AeroPress. And it's, uh, and one of the differences between espresso brewing and drip brewing is that espresso uses pressure, a lot of pressure. We're forcing hot water through coffee rather than letting gravity pull it through. And we shorten the time of extraction and intensify the flavor by doing that. So this company, AeroPress, uh, has come up with a, a device, a manual, very affordable product that allows you to essentially push water through coffee directly into a cup. Hmm. And they now have a new, a new version called a Travel, AeroPress Travel that we're going to be promoting. We'll have some videos, some how-to videos on the website. And it's a great way to brew coffee. It's my personal favorite. Oh, cool. So how does the AeroPress, is this, this something you could take out, like a camping and things like that? You certainly could. It doesn't require any electricity. It's small and portable. You do need a way to heat water. Now, when I'm fishing, if I'm in a drift boat, I always pack, pack a little camp stuff with me so I can heat up some water and and one of these AeroPress units and and I'm I'm drinking in coffee in a matter of minutes. Yeah, there you go. So basically, get your like um, oh whatever the little micro camp stove. There's tons of them out there. Just gra- have that with you um, and then have your little AeroPress and boom and have your English coffee and you're good to go. There you go. Uh, do you uh, so on your personal preference? Are you a uh, are you all black or what, how do you take your coffee? Oh yeah, you know I'm. I've worked my way up through the ranks, like like most people. I, uh, you know, I used to be a cappuccino and latte guy, and then kind of stopped drinking so much dairy as I get older. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I like I like any form of, of black coffee. I, I love a good pour over drip coffee. I love the pressurized brew, whether through an Aeropress or, of course, I have. A ridiculously expensive espresso machine here in my house. <laughs> how, how much? How much does it cost? If it, if somebody's going to buy that right now, what, what's that thing cost? I'm almost embarrassed to say it's. We we the company calls it a home machine, but it's about seven thousand dollars. Oh, that's not bad. There you go. That's that's the tr- price of a nice uh, uh, lodge trip somewhere. Yeah, price of a few <laughs> good few good cane rods, maybe. I know. I know. No, that's cool. This is awesome. I, I love the, um, I mean, this is the coffee talk. This is the thing. I mean, there's gotta be, there's, I'm sure there's some podcasts out there that are all about coffee. I, I feel like that's always my struggle with this podcast is I love fly fishing, but there's so many topics that are like little tangents that I'm interested in. And, um, you know, and I, I'm, we're kind of connecting it to coffee, obviously here today. What, what do you think? You know, I mean, anything else, like, I guess on the, the angler's coffee, maybe just before we move off of this topic on types of coffee can you just describe what you guys have there for somebody that's you know i know you have the dark what does your selection look like 
Well, we have seven different blends, in, including decaf. And as I mentioned, we go the spectrum from a fairly light, medium roast all the way to a very dark roast. And the roasting is the single biggest factor in, of the taste profile of coffee. The second profile would be the source of the, the raw or the green coffee beans, beans before they're, they're pre-roasted. And um, we source beans from South America, Central America, Indonesia, Africa, and we blend them together or, or sometimes we do what's called single origin. Right now we're featuring a Kenya. And really our, our, our goal is to provide a, a great spectrum to fit any, anybody's taste preferences. And there's really quite a remarkable difference from blend to blend and from bean to bean. Um, and then once we, we also, we, we roast in, in small batches. Another a real critical key to coffee quality is freshness. Mm -hmm. So when someone orders coffee from us, we, we don't roast it until we get the order. And we try to ship it out within one or two days from the day we get the order. So it, And we put it in a, a special bag that seals the flavors in and has a little valve to let gases and air out. So our goal is to have the coffee arrive, you know, at peak freshness. Coffee, once coffee is exposed to air, it typically has a, a generally accepted shelf life of about two weeks, maybe three weeks, and then it starts to fade, and you can really taste it when it fades. So good quality beans, a really good roasting technique, a master roaster at the helm, and, um, and freshness. Those are the elements to, to great coffee. No kidding. And and where is and just describe briefly what is roasting like just just a, not not a long but just a process. How does that work and who's doing the roasting for you guys? Well, again, coffee is um, is grown in semi-tropical or tropical regions. Uh, it grows on trees. It's a it's an incredibly hands-on product. Coffee as a commodity is second only to oil on international basis in wow. terms in terms of uh, both poundage and revenue. And um, so it's a huge product worldwide. And if you've ever had a chance to, to visit a coffee farm, you would be just astounded how much work goes into it. Almost all coffee is picked by hand, particularly great coffee. One, and a coffee grows in, in a cherry. It looks like a cherry. And the beans are actually seeds that are inside of the cherry. And literally these beans are hand-picked and then there's a processing where the skins and mucilage and stuff that's removed from the coffee so that we end up with green coffee beans that are ready to be shipped out to the roasters of the world. And when we receive coffee, we receive it in what you'd see classic burlap bags. They're usually about 150 pounds. And... Um, and then from there, we, 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 turn, we roast it. You know, roasting machines are coming all sizes and shapes. Uh, we use a ProBat roaster, a classic roaster out of Germany. Um, so beans are put into the roaster, in our case, no more than 20 pounds at a time. So we can keep the batches small. We have much larger capacity, but that's how we do it. And uh, so the beans tumble around in a, in a roaster at, that's at about 400 to 450 degrees. 
and it's an extremely hands-on process. The, the, the roasting process happens in about 12 minutes from start to finish. And it's really easy to ruin a batch if you're not on top of it. And we have a master roaster, a guy by the name of Tim McCormick, who was actually one of Starbucks' first roasters. Oh, wow. He's also been roasting coffee as long as I've been in this and a couple of old guys. But he he's incredibly talented and, uh, and a real craftsman. So he watches over each and every roast, and uh, and then the beans beans actually need to sit for about twelve to twenty four hours before they're put in a package and shipped out, and um, and hopefully they arrive with somebody in peak peak form. That's it. That's it. And the and the roasting process is just basically that's kind of not not um, what is that exactly? What is the roasting? Well, as I mentioned, so you take a bean or a raw coffee bean or a bat, or batch of beans, and they're they're dumped into this drum. It, it, it's a drum that spins, so the beans tumble around inside, and a lot of heat is applied to it, typically a gas, gas in our case, it's a gas flame, mm-hmm. and we heat that roaster up to 450 degrees, and the, as the coffee is tumbling around in there, it hopefully is coming up to its roasted finished product uh, at just the right rate. And we might we might drop the beans starting at about 385 degrees for a very light roast all the way up to 425, 430, for instance, for your muddler's blend that you like. Yeah. So that's where the lightness or darkness comes in. It's the same as if you're you're cooking something or roasting something in the oven. The longer you have it in there or the higher temperature the more cooked it's going to be. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so that's it, and then then they got then you get the coffee and go for it. And and is the muddler is that the darkest one you have? That's that's our darkest yeah. blend. Yeah, that's the darkest. Okay, and and what about uh, just a few more items I want to touch on here as far as the anglers? So we got a good feel of how it works and. Um, so cost wise, what does it cost for a pack of like a, what is it like a 16 ounce or what, what's the, the package come in typically? Our coffee is all priced the same. It's $16 and 50 cents for a 12 ounce bag. That is definitely at the higher end of the, the price spectrum of coffee, but there's a reason for that. It has a lot to do, well, mostly to do with the quality of the green beans that we source. And we handpick every I mean, we hand choose every every coffee very carefully, and the the factors that we we weigh in are obviously the the quality of the coffee. It's interesting. You can go to a coffee farm, say in Colombia, and, and like the El Tambo region, which we're featuring right now, and you might have a coffee that's a coffee farm that's three to five acres. Uh, within that three to five acres, you might have coffee five different flavor profiles of coffee that have been influenced by the soil the altitude the moisture so we're we're very careful about which beans we select to begin with which cost more we're also very sensitive to the coffee farmers of the world they've really been in my opinion not treated as well as they should have given the rise of popularity Mm -hmm. and i mean you talk about my history if i had Tried to tell someone they might be paying sixteen fifty for a twelve ounce bag of coffee back in the early eighties. They would have thought I was crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, like a lot of products, people that are pursuing quality have been willing to pay more, uh, and 
not all, not enough of that money went to the farmers of the coffee who typically come from third world, you know, or, or smaller yeah. countries. It's a definitely hands-on type of agriculture. Um, so we, we, we support the farmers directly by importing a lot of our own beans. We also support organizations that uh, contribute to the betterment of the farmer's life. A lot of organizations we support have built schools, have uh, supplied clothing, really trying to yeah. better the lives of the poor coffee farmers of the world. So all that leads to I know what we pay and eventually what consumers pay for coffee. That's it. No, and I think, um, and actually we have a, a coupon code at uh, wetflyswing. Uh, if somebody uses that, they can get it. Actually, we talked and we got, um, it's 22% off of, of that uh, sixteen fifty. Um, so I'm not sure. I think I think you, there is a 20% discount. I saw some other codes out there, but we got a little higher one for people. So that's roughly about, yeah, like 350 off of that. So you can kind of, uh, so about 13 bucks a bag for listeners of this show. Which which is good, and I think there's a little shipping too, right? At the five dollar shipping fee. Yeah, we have a five dollar flat rate for shipping, and, and we gave you that extra two percent because we like your podcast so much. <laughs> That's right. I know. I, I just uh, it's uh, I think it's pretty cool, and uh, yeah, I mean for but I look at it again. You know, you think of it, it's like eighteen dollars. Okay, that's everything. You know, and I think if you buy in bulk, you could probably get a little cheaper, but. You know, that's not a, a bad deal at all for what you get. Like, you're just telling the story here. You know, you're not buying this bulk, you know, uh, stuff's not getting trashed. Uh, you're not hurting local families and stuff. I mean, it's all, you know, it's kind of what all fly fishing's about, right? I mean, we support conservation and all those things. And it, it kind of, it makes sense that people would buy Angler's Coffee over, you know, I, I don't even want to, I wonder what, like, Folgers or U-Band, I mean, I couldn't imagine what that process sounds like. You know what I mean? Um that's a whole different world of what we call commodity coffee, and it's uh, yeah. It luckily it's declining in popularity around the world, and things are getting better. Yeah. Um, so we have listeners. You know, there's a bulk of listeners, obviously, that are there in the U.S. and Canada, um, but there's listeners all over the world that that uh, you know tune into this show. Can people all over the world get get your coffee, or where, where do you guys ship that out? Well, they they certainly can, but it's. Not particularly practical. Yeah, shipping would be huge. Uh, shipping costs, yeah, yeah. just just to, to make it not very practical. You know, if if anglers, if the anglers company has has real legs and popularity warrants it, I do have, I do have roasting connections in a lot of uh, a lot of great places of the world. One of the pleasures I had was traveling the world in the espresso machine business, and. As often as I could, I combined that with fishing. So I was able to fish in New Zealand, in Norway, certainly in Canada, Iceland, uh, Hawaii, literally all over the world. And um, as a result, I have good roasting connections and could probably figure out a way to fulfill orders all all over. Again, that's going to we'll see if that if that comes to be. Yeah, gotcha. Well, you mentioned there, and this is a fishing show. So, what uh, out of all those places do you have a, a favorite uh, destination you've been to? Uh, well, I like them all for different reasons, but probably, probably for a variety of reasons, New Zealand would be oh, my yeah. favorite. Uh-huh. And I am a, I'm, at heart, I'm a trout fishing guy, um, and the trout fishing that I experienced there was was quite amazing. Um, I'm, I'm, my mom was 
was full blood Norwegian, and so when I, I fished in Norway just a year and a half ago, uh, Gouda River, and that was that was a really great experience. Fishing wasn't great, but getting to visit my mom's hometown and um, that was really fun. Yeah, Iceland. I loved Iceland. Yep. What was the um, what was the name of the river in Norway? The Gouda. How do you how do you spell that? I believe it's G A U D A. Okay. Oh yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Did you guys? Did you end up? But was this for Atlantic salmon? It was for Atlantic salmon. Yeah. I um, ironically, I I befriended a guide who guides in Hawaii. He guides on Kauai and also Molokai for bone fishing. And in fact, I'm leaving Monday to go go visit him in, oh, in wow. Hawaii um, and do a little bone fishing. The um, he invited me to go with him on this trip to Norway, and you know it was just enough enough in it that we, for me, that I was attracted to the idea, and off we went. And like I say, we hit it. We didn't hit good timing. We really didn't have good fishing at all. But yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's part. That's fishing, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. Obviously, the uh, you know uh, steelhead here is is down a little bit, and I, I've I've heard some good stories. And did you did you guys end up uh, seeing any fish swing swing anything up or anything? Oh yeah, yeah, we picked up a few, but it, oh, was, cool. it was it was slow. It was interesting fishing twenty four hours a day because um, yeah. it, it didn't get. We were there right at right the end of June, and uh, it was it was light out literally twenty four hours a day, and and we fished twenty four hours sometimes, or at least every hour of the clock. Um, hmm. But yeah, it was it was slow. It was hard work for a few fish. Yeah, cool. What, um, hey, here's another random one I was just thinking about. Um, so coffee, I'm not sure who's doing it, but have you heard of this thing where they're putting butter in coffee? Yeah, it's, it, it's part of a health kick. Yeah. For, um, it's basically a way to add fat to your coffee and in the combination of fat and the caffeine is supposed to help your metabolism kick into gear. Hmm. So you process energy better in your body. It's supposed to help with weight loss and overall mm. health. I, I, Bad. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. I, without knowing much about the, the validity of the health aspects, I don't find it very appealing personally. Yeah, mm. butter. I know. I got enough butter in my diet. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Uh, well, anything else here, uh, Joe, you know, before we get out of here, as far as on the coffee, did we cover anglers pretty well? Anything else you want to kind of uh, give a heads up on or anything? A couple of things. You know, I'm, as I mentioned, we, we really enjoyed becoming part of the fly fishing community. We just participated in a, a fundraiser for Justin Ulrich. Ulrich, yep. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, who's having some health challenges. And I, it was one, just amazing to watch the community rally around him. Um, and it was really great to be able to participate along with the community. So we were able, we got a $300 bid on a, on a subscription of coffee, which was wonderful. Oh, cool. So cool. I'm really, really enjoying that part and getting to know people. We're, we're also in the process sometime around fall, we're going to be coming out with an artist series. Uh, working with an artist yet to be named, but someone that's quite famous. Um, uh -huh. And that'll show up on our packaging and a couple of really special coffees uh, and some maybe some promotional merchandise to go along with it. There you go. 
So you got some good, we got some good stuff coming up here because yeah, I guess it's, uh, it's March now. So we're, we're still in the, the COVID thing, but it's, it feels like we're slowly coming out of it and hopefully, uh, you know, things will be continue to open up. Right. Have you, have you noticed any, um, any COVID related anything? I mean, it sounds like you're, you're getting the traveling going and stuff like that. Just, you know, this will be my first travels in, uh, in over a year and I'm, and I'm really looking forward to it. I I've actually been fully vaccinated. There you go. Um, and feeling pretty okay about that. Uh, And yeah, we we have, we've definitely noticed one of the things that we're trying to do and and starting to experience some, some success is also having our coffee available in fly shops. Oh, nice. And, um, and a few of them are starting up and and they've obviously been hit pretty hard by the whole COVID thing. Uh, So I'm glad to hear a lot of them are, are seeing some, some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think fly shops, that just makes total sense um, for sure. I'm sure most fly shops have a, a, some coffee brewing, right? Uh, most of them have a pot going somewhere. Yeah, so there you go. That would make total sense. Is, is there anybody else out there, um, you know, I mean, anglers coffee, like other uh, angler fishing, anything like that similar to what you guys, you know, branding? I, I think there's a couple. I, I've yeah. seen called Early Riser that I I it's somebody I don't know in the uh-huh. business. Um, there's a there's a company that's actually quite large called Black Rifle Company. Oh yeah, right, Black that. Rifle Coffee that is that's targeting the the yeah the armed a lot forces. of military and, and ex military demographic, but also outdoorsmen. Yeah. Um, um, and so they're they're good inspiration for us in terms of, of growth. Um, but that, those are the only ones I'm really aware of now. I'm sure there's stuff I'm not aware of. Coffee is becoming almost ubiquitous. There, there's coffee yeah. everywhere, which is so great to see. Good coffee. I know. I know. It is It is pretty. Yeah, we've come a long way since that 19, uh, like you're saying at the start, right, 1975 when Starbucks was didn't even have a store where you could buy coffee. And now, and now look at it. I mean, literally, um, you know, I mean, I think I've heard something like they make most of their money now like on real estate or something like that, right? Because they own all these key places. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah, that I don't know about. I know they make plenty of money on coffee. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, yeah, they're they're out there. So okay. Well, I guess if anybody has questions for you, if they want to pick up um, some coffee, or you have the subscription package, uh, AnglersCoffee.com, and they can use the coupon code WetFlySwing, which will, like we said, get them that twenty-two percent uh, discount. And uh, but yeah, Joe, hey, thanks for taking all the time today. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, looking forward to staying in touch with you as we keep uh, up on, you know, this this sponsorship we have going. Thanks again for having me, Dave. We we really like the the relationship with your podcast, and uh, let's keep it going. So. There you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 207. Angler's Coffee is uh, is the real deal. Uh, if you get a chance, head over to wetflyswing.com slash anglers and support a great company and get some great sustainable coffee that is tasty right now. Delivered to your door. They make it real easy. Uh, I didn't plug, I didn't check in with Joe on uh, music today, so I'll have to hit him up later. But I just wanted to thank Joe again for coming on. Uh, I've been pretty happy, actually really happy this year with all of our sponsors, um, Anglers being another great company. And when I hear these stories, it just makes me appreciate uh, the good companies we have out there and, and the companies that are connected to fly fishing. 
and uh, and helping to uh, support what we have going here. So I want to thank you in advance if you had a chance to uh, purchase Angler's Coffee. Uh, you know it's going to a good cause, and now you know a little bit of, uh, more of the story. And definitely if you connect with Joe, say hi over there. I think he's answering every single um, call, or at least following up with people who are purchasing. So you can check in with uh, Joe in person. Uh, that's a wrap. That's all I have for you today. Uh, really appreciate uh, appreciate you for stopping by and looking forward to catching you on the next one, which is Carlos. Carlos at Jurassic Lake coming up. Uh, that is coming up on Tuesday. So stay tuned for some killer. If you ever wanted to go down to Patagonia or learn about what it's all about, we got Carlos on. Um, so this is really excited to share that episode with you as well. That's it. That's a wrap. Cinnamon dental floss.